Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, episode 44. Today, it's a very special episode. We're doing a dual podcast release. Remember we did that a while back? Remember that, Matt? Who was that with? I do. Uh, that was with Don't Panic Your Cast, John Lehman. And we can already tell that Matt is going to be cutting in and out of this episode, so enjoy that. Um, but today we have the SEG pros at podcasting. Uh, their their podcast, in case you haven't listened to it, is called Seismic Sound Off. Hey guys, hey, hi! Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us on. Oh, what's <laughs> going? Oh, by the way, um, this is um, Isaac and Andrew over at SEG, and we are Matt and Graham over at Understampled Radio for our various audiences. Um, very excited to talk to you guys today. Um, for many reasons, but uh, one of the reasons is that you guys know how to podcast. Yeah. Matt and I are taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on the subject of um, flaky podcast moments, if uh, if my booth frees up in the next, my screen will go black, and I will, I suppose I could crawl out on all fours, but I think... <laughs> I'll just turn my screen black and I'll reappear in my in my booth, probably sounding a lot better. Excellent. Is this a common reaction for you, Matt, on, on these podcasts? You're going black and crawling on all fours and <laughs> reappearing? Uh, I, I've only had to do it a couple of times before um, to, like, if my recording device is running out of batteries or something, I've had to creep out. But usually, play with it if Graham hadn't drawn attention to it when I did most <laughs> most unfortunately he, he turns off the video uh, it's I I want to, I want like I want you to army crawl with the video recorder in your hand <laughs> make it really exciting um, so Matt's got a couple uh, bullet points of news that could be of use to both audiences so let it rip well I don't know about use but um, yeah <laughs> It's all a bit of a panic today because I'm going to the Geo Convention, um, which is the combined CSPG, CSEG, and CWLS. So that's that is a lot of acronyms. Yeah, yeah, that's why they started calling it Geo Convention. I think it, it was scandal. So um, anyway, it's a, it's a good conference. It's uh, you know every May in Calgary, and what sort of Right before it, there's a CSPG training week, and we're doing our Python course. So that's on Thursday. Then we were going to be doing our communications course with Graham, but that's been canceled, unfortunately. So um, we're going to be on Friday. And then I've got two talks in the conference next week, but that's it. No other commitments. So we'd be seeing a few talks and doing some blogging and all that stuff. Um, so that's what I'm up to next week. I, I was going to mention that there's, um, as you know, we're sold out of the Paris hackathon. No more seats left for that. And I've got a waiting list, several people long. So there's 
probably not even I've even sold out of the waiting list spots um, <laughs> but there is still space at the boot camp which is on the 9th of June if anyone's coming to EAGE a bit early and wants to learn some Python and machine learning stuff on uh, Friday the 9th of June um, machine and... learning stuff too I didn't know that was part of the boot yeah. camp well you know I thought I was sort of thinking we might get some people who already know how to program a little bit but maybe have before and the other thing we've done before at the boot camp is um, if people have done some programming but have never built a web app uh, we've, we've sort of done a, a segment on web applications so they can get up to speed on that um, very cool yeah yeah so anyway that's that's all the stuff I'm thinking about it's, it's crazy spring um, Andrew and Isaac we didn't give you any space in the show notes for your news um, but do you have any news Tell them about the shows you're working on. What's sure. Happening? We're going to be releasing the introduction to Geoscientists Without Borders today. That program will, that episode will go out. That'll be our 15th episode. We're slowly catching up to you all. Uh, our 16th episode, an interview with Swin Tritel, will come out Thursday. And that's kind of a mix of talking about how he got into the space, moving from analog to digital and kind of that, that time in geophysics, but also talking a little bit about a workshop, or actually it's a course, uh, he corrected me, a course that will be uh, taking place in mid-May, I think May 19th through the 21st, don't quote me on that, uh, actually it's a little later, uh, 23rd through 25th is coming. We'll just edit that out. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but him and Enders Robinson, who they did a lot of work together and wrote some books together, they're going to be co-hosting this course, uh, kind of half-day workshops over a four-day period, uh, so it's talking a little bit about what you will be learning at that course. Awesome. Where can we find the Seismic Sound Off podcast? Easiest way to do that is go to seg.org slash podcast, and you'll find all, all of our episodes. And then uh, subscribing to iTunes, podcast app of your choice. You can find us there as well, Seismic Sound Off. Excellent. So all you UR listeners, all two of you that are listening, sign up. Yeah, that, 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 that would probably that double our subscription rate. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> webinar course that's coming up is like that's you know what what a unique opportunity to see those two guys teaching together um really really awesome um i really love their book uh what's it called something like a abc's something something seismic like digital seismic deconvolution blah 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 um <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a weird title um but it's a it's a really great book it's one of my favorite favorite geophysics book that bears like reading and rereading because it's just got so many nice little nuggets in it and totally accessible like you know for how technical it is it's a completely readable book it's quite unique I think I put that up there with like Chris Liner's awesome 3D seismology my two favorite ones probably they have a great way of writing and breaking down the information. That that is true, and 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 Swin just talking has a great way of doing that as well. So it it would be a valuable workshop uh, to explore. They call it geophysical signal analysis 101, uh, okay. but I, I'm sure it gets technical. I think just the way that they communicate and can teach makes it feel like it's so basic. Even if, as you said, you're covering really technical information, you can somehow digest it pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's Anyway, it's going to be good. Is this the new GeoSciCom mode? Is this the most um, useful format to people in person, face to face instruction? 
I think it just depends. I, I mean, you know, for me, I, I'm going to a conference later this year. It's it's not about uh, geophysics or geoscience. It's just about leadership training. And I'm going to to Canada, be up in your neck of the woods, uh, Matt. But um, I, I don't think that I can replace that networking opportunity that's there uh, to meet people and connect. But we, but SEG and other uh, societies have an opportunity to fill this space, like with Sven and Ender's course. Um, as as we will talk about probably later in the show, one of the first things to get cut in downtimes is training uh, and travel. So SEG is looking to occupy that space a little more than we have in the past. And so we're excited about this, this workshop with Sven and, and Enders and partnering with GSH to do that. Yeah, cool. I mean, it, we've had a lot of questions about, you know, we're putting our Python course online. A friend of mine in France, I'll try and look up this, uh, the link because he's either the founder of or been instrumental in setting up an online training environment for geoscience. I can't remember the name of right now. Um, Greg Samways, he's called. But, it, you know, and he's been saying, hey, do you guys want to put a course on my platform? Um, and I kind of like the idea of it, but I'm afraid of the amount of work involved. <laughs> and for such a sort of unsure essentially at the end of it like it's you know it, are people ready to come training in enough quantity that it actually paid like I understand if you're lynda.com and you can make a video about Photoshop and you know a hundred thousand people are going to watch that video but if you're the SEG or agile or someone offering highly specialized uh, niche technical training are the sort of what What's the audience, right? It's like 500, maybe 5,000 people, absolute tops over the lifetime of the video. Are you guys collecting data? Do you feel like SEG has an idea of how that's going to... Is the price, like the price point for the Enders uh, Robinson Sven Tritel thing is like 400 bucks or something. Like, is that the price point? I'll, you know, those decisions are made by our counterparts here at SEG, so I'll do my best to talk about it. Um, I think that, you, you know, those decisions are made now, today. So while this, while a, a course with Sven and Enders may not have worked two or three years ago, or for that matter, may not work four or five years ago, or four, four or five years into the future, it, I think it'll work today uh, for those reasons that I talked about. I think that, that they've, you know, Sven and Enders are, like you said, they're pioneers in the science. They have this energy about them. You know, when I, 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 we have this opportunity to talk to Sven every other week. We're working on a project with him right now, and I just walk out of walk out of that uh, interaction with a, you know, a skip. I'm, I'm excited uh, for that for that uh, opportunity, and I think others will be too. So I think uh, you know, SEG did a good thing by, uh, and GSH for that matter, did a good thing in partnering on this uh, to identify two people who will have a big draw for something that has wide appeal. So I think that we're, you know, SEG is still trying to dip our toes into that water. We've been, we've been talking about this and talking about this, and it's not the first time we've done an online offering, but we see an opportunity to grow there. Uh, and, and now is a good time to do that. 
I interviewed Johannes Duma yesterday, who is vice chair of the Emerging Professionals International Committee, I believe it stands for, which is essentially the Young Professionals Committee group of people at SEG. And one of the things, one of the major things he thought the society should offer someone like the Emerging Professionals is connection to senior geophysicists. And this is a way to be able to provide that to young professionals in a setting that if you are in an office setting, you can maybe get away for half a day. You could, you just have to get online. You don't have to get down to Houston. So I think this is a way that we're trying to connect the senior leadership and senior professionals and senior geophysicists in our organization with, with others who want, want to hear from them and want to learn from them in this setting that might be more beneficial. Plus it's recorded so you can just go back to it and be able to see it on your own time as well. So it, it creates a, a long-term impact that it can have as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a thought just struck me while you were describing that, you know, um, that request, if you like. And I just wondered, do you think any, quote, senior geophysicist has ever said, how can I get more access to in this organization? To, to what? <laughs> Maybe they have. You sort of cut out there, Matt. More access to. to oh, sorry, to the young people in this organization. <laughs> I, I know. I, I. I. I mean, I know you're. You're saying that kind of jokingly. I've had geophysicists say that to me. Oh, yeah, senior no, no, geophysicists good. say that to me. You know, they're at the point of their career where they're saying, "I want to give back." And so, yeah. I, well, okay, that's what. That, okay, I get that, but that's not what I meant. I meant. Yeah. Um, because, you know, how can I uh, get insight or um, enthusiasm or encouragement from the younger people? Because because there's something I need, not because I want to give them something. My wisdom. right, right. Well, I think you know you had Lindsay Hagee on a few episodes ago, and I think Doug Oldenburg recognizes that. You know, we've we've talked with Doug yes. about his course, and he recognizes that Lindsay and Soggy and those those other those other young uh, geoscientists who are part of that they have skills that he maybe doesn't. So uh, he's been smart enough and wise enough to say, hey, let's let's grow this thing. Um, and I'll, I'll lean on you and you can lean on me and we'll create this really great thing. Yeah, you're, no, you're right. That's a great example, actually. That's a perfect example. I wish that more, I would I would agree with you. I wish that more people in all fields would see that opportunity to connect. Yeah. So Matt, how are you? How is your connection with the new geophysicists of the world going? I mean, you, you guys offer courses, and you, but you have a lot of material that is sort of pervasive online. I mean, you have a blog, you have videos, you blah, 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 all these things. Do you think that that um, interaction is, is helping the young geophysicists of the world? Uh, I, well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's... Uh, Do you get feedback? Um, you know, yeah, I get uh, lots of emails, and not all of them are asking for jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not asking for jobs, but asking about. I mean, certainly, I, re I absolutely relish, and and maybe you didn't expect to either, but I absolutely relish uh, the groups of students from like University of Leeds last year in Vienna, Colorado School of Mines um, in New Orleans and Denver, when they come to the hackathons because they absolutely blow everybody away with their level of energy and skill, <laughs> sort of just like, just raw kind of ability to 
get things right away and do stuff really quickly. Um, and I, I love that. And I feel like that was eye opening for everyone, not just me. I'd love to get more young people involved, um, even in things like the blog. You know, we we thought maybe we'd have a lot more guest posts at the beginning, but it's just not something I've paid a lot of attention to figuring out how to manage that. Um, the wiki as well was a really difficult experiment because of the the trouble with spam basically uh, means that you can be here. It's very difficult to. Um, yeah, so I, it's an open problem, I think. But but I think I think SEG is definitely with things like the um, the challenge bowl, uh, the stuff you guys are doing, you two are doing around the wiki, um, the you know, especially, but also talk awards and student awards that SEG does. I mean, all that stuff helps bring that stuff to the surface. And like, there's a there's a special award. I can't remember the name of it. Clarence Karcher, is it? Um, the, you know, I think all that stuff is really important and resonates through the whole community. Yeah, I'm going to um, wait for the next big long speech that someone else gives because my room next door is freed up, as you might see. <laughs> my wife over my shoulder just now. And I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to creep in there, but very subtly so that you won't know I'm doing okay. it. And if I don't real, realize. Awesome. Well, we hope that Matt plugs into wired uh, internet when he gets there. So he's cutting it, but it's all good. Um, no, guys, I, I would say that uh, on a different level, SEG provides these opportunities for young professionals, not only to learn from senior geophysicist types, but also learn in an environment which isn't, which small companies are not capable of providing, right? So like doing workshops and doing courses in person is such an amazing opportunity for everybody, young professional or not. Um, I just, I worry a bit that uh, it's, the the in-person stuff is, a, is too fleeting. Um, and so you guys are doing webinars, this data is archived, um, how does the SEG attempt to um, extend the life cycle of some of that invaluable information that you guys are recording? I think it, I, one of the things that we've been working on lately is making it easier to find. So we have uh, Jeff Johnson, who's a geophysicist that we're, we're working with, who developed the competency management system at SEG, uh, which is a benefit to members. One of the ways that that is broken up is into 12 different types of categories that range from geophysical skills, but can be kind of more uh, more broad, like computer skills, let's say. I mean, Matt's talked about Python, and, and that's something that comes up frequently in the show. So there's a way that you can, you can sort of assess where you are at as a geophysicist, and then get pointed to the resources that SEG has and some other organizations have to figure out how you can improve those skills. So I think in that sense, it, it helps elongate that material you know in my in my feeling it's a lot it's mainly just figuring out what is available and what is out there you know i'm amazed at how many people don't know about lynda.com and for a lot of people like in, it's this way in tulsa we can get it for free through our library you know there's all these amazing resources to learn things you just have to to be aware of it so i think kind of going back full circle to what we're talking about isaac and a few other people in, in it and, and web content have been working at creating smaller, you know, around 12 to 14, 16 categories 
of geophysical content that we can put our information in. So if you are going to our website, you can specifically look for something you are looking for if you're trying to improve XYZ on your topics and then list out what we have available. So it's making it a little easier to navigate. It's making it a little bit easier to find. So I think those are kinds of the things that we're doing. I mean, we're trying to recruit different content where we feel like we need to add to it to our to our library. But, you know, we have a pretty extensive cat extensive uh, list of workshops and courses and different things now. So I think we're trying to make it easier to access, make people aware. We're, you know, Isaac was telling me the other day, he thinks a lot of people still don't know a lot about the SEG wiki. So, you know, I think, you know, the whole, what we're talking about here is communicating geoscience. I think we're trying to figure out the best way to let people know the resources that SEG has. And I, I think we have a long way to go in that, but I think even just getting to that point where the majority of our members know what we have would be a huge boost to getting more people looking at our courses, looking at the wiki and engaging with the society as a whole. So you can find the wiki at wiki.seg.org, is that right? That is correct. And you should do it. If you've never done it, it is awesome. There's a ton of resources up there. Mm -hmm. So Matt, in your, in your uh, army crawling around the office time, <laughs> we've been talking about how to make material more, ex uh, educational material more accessible and more uh, temporally pervasive by doing online recordings and webinars and podcasts and videos and things. Um, this all ties into the, the thing we were talking about last week with Flynn, which was, um, in our case, personal branding, and in the SEG's case, uh, corporate-ish branding. Um, but the brand is one of information, uh, dissemination and being helpful to your members and the external community. Um, so Matt does this in part by teaching courses and listening to blog and doing all this stuff. Um, can we, what, what are some bullet points other than doing the courses? We know you have a podcast, um, that, that are outreach to the community from SEG. Uh, I think that one, you know, our social media presence has not always been as strong as I would like it to be. And so <laughs> we have a really, we've, we, in the last year, year and a half, we've hired a marketing director who's just amazing, Beth Donica. And I'm really excited about the kind of the transformation that's happening in our marketing and graphics team. So I think social media is one place to connect with us, <clears throat> LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, volunteer opportunities is something that, that uh, we're always really excited about. Um, you know, we right now, we're, we talked about the wiki, we talked about Sven Tritel, but we didn't mention ex explicitly what's happening that I'm really excited about is we have geophysicists from all, you know, we've got Sven Tritel all the way down to college students who are translating our number one book into Spanish. And it's all a volunteer led thing. And they're doing great work the quality is top notch and they're doing it faster than any of us could have ever conceived for free. So <laughs> they're really extending our resources on the wiki. Um, you know, any Spanish speaking uh, geophysicist had to learn English before they could learn, completely learn geophysics. So, mm -hmm. you know, that resonates with them. That's, that's a powerful thing. So I think for us to connect our volunteers in the community to one another for projects that make an impact, 
uh, is really important. And Andrew talked about this podcast working on Geoscientists Without Borders. There's an opportunity for people to, to participate in that, uh, that program, connect with that program, give to that program. And then we have all of our uh, journals um, and books that people can read and publish in as well. I don't, what did I miss, Andrew? Surely many things. That's a good list. Okay. Very cool. Um, so I, I actually forgot to ask you this question 10 minutes ago. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Python comes up a lot on the show. How's that? Well, I think I in terms so. of, um, I mean, Matt was kind of the first person when I initially started here to turn me on to Python. And, and in terms of the wiki, you know, bots are generally created with Python or can be created with Python. And that's kind of what I had decided to learn to, to create those bots and, and you utilize that skill set on the wiki. We've gone to a few hackathons with Matt and, and his and Agile. And I, I guess I'm kind of, and I, I thought this when we interviewed, you know, Doug and Lindsay and Sagi, you know, I mean, they're using more advanced coding. I guess kind of what I meant is that now geophysicists is more than just the knowledge of the science itself. There are these computer skills that seem to me anyway from the outside looking in to be essential now. So I, you know, I think that is something that you all talk about and certainly on Matt's blog, it gets addressed, you know, fairly frequently. And I, you know, I, so I see that as an important aspect of developing the geophysicist skill set, and just kind of wanted to highlight that in something like the SEG CMS that that's even getting acknowledged there that these computer skills are becoming a essential toolkit for the geophysicists. Hmm. That's interesting. So how, uh, I like the idea that, uh, the, the language of science is now in blended with the computer language, right? So um, there are quite a few SEG courses and uh, notebooks and textbooks and things about geophysical theory. So is there some way or is there some resource the SEG has for young geoscientists to learn computer skills too? Not as much as we would like, I guess, is the is the best answer we can give you. But as, as Matt was kind of alluding to, you know, I I don't know if SEG itself needs to create all of these things from scratch. You know, I learned a lot about computer science and Python through Udacity. I learned it through a, a pretty good book that I'm totally blinking on the name right now. But it's a pretty popular book that's available for for free on the web. Uh, that's just a great great book about learning Python. So you know, I I don't know if and, you know, and there's so many codes, I, I think Lindsay uh, and Sagi were working a lot with Lua. You know, there's just different things that are popping up. The wiki uses Lua. Um, there's another, I forget the name, Matt, you would probably know a new coding language that's kind of coming up that is pretty popular as well. There's just so many, yeah, there's just so many things coming out, you know, and, and so many good resources on the web. I think some of the stuff on the CMS on SEG, we do point to other organizations as well. You know, we're not creating everything. We are the applied geophysicist organization. So I think we want to focus on creating content around the science of applied geophysics, but acknowledging that there are other important toolkits for the geophysicist as well to succeed in his or her career. Nice. Yeah. Keep a specialized focus on geophysics. Matt, where do you point people to go learn computer stuffs? 
Um, yeah, it's tricky actually because you know, somewhat ironically, because there's so much, there's so many resources for learning to code. It's sort of hard to figure out which one, right. you know, where you should actually go. Um, but I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. I've I've never seen a sort of thorough survey of all these different um, outlets. Um, like Andrew, I had a really positive experience with Udacity, um, probably five or six years ago now. Um, the Computer Science 101 is fantastic. It's taught by David Evans. It's absolute back to basics. It's Python all the way through. Um, but you're not. You, you're building a. I uh, don't think you actually deploy a web application, but you're building a blog. You know, as part. I mean, may you may even have a wiki in there. I think as one of the assignments. Um, you know, you're building these sorts of web applications um, in the course, so they're real. Um, kind of, it, you're building real code kind of thing. Uh, the CS253 is also really fantastic from Udacity. Um, that's taught by uh, Steve Huffman, who uh, who wrote Reddit. Um, so it, what's fascinating about that one is he sort of, it's intertwined, like the computer science is intertwined. Um, well, I shouldn't say computer science. It's really software engineering. It's much more kind of, uh, practical applied stuff than the 101. Um, but in, intertwined in there is all his experiences with starting up Reddit. Like they had some catastrophic uh, security breaches and stuff like that. So you get to hear these kind of uh, war stories, which is which is fun and interesting. And that is all deploying actual live web apps. Um, so that I, you know, I've said before on the blog that it's not too much of a stretch to say that those two courses changed my life. I mean, they changed my professional life and they changed my outlook on science and uh, how I could contribute to it. So, I mean, they had a profound effect on me. Uh, books, I've never got on that well with books in coding, partly because they just they just go stale so, so quickly. Um, there, there's a, a, a couple of standouts, like I think I've said before, if I was going to buy one, I'd get the um, something like uh, computational physics or something. It's one of the O'Reilly books. It's by, um, oh God, uh, I can't remember, Huff and Scopatz. Scopatz <laughs> and Huff. Um, S-C-O-P-A-T-Z. Anyway, that it's really good because it's totally general. So it's got not just Python, it's got bash and scripting and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I think um, SCG is right. You know, you guys are right to sort of say, no, no, we don't need to be like the place for a person to go learn to code. That's not really what SCG is about. But SCG would be kind of uh, failing its membership if it didn't if it didn't do something. You know, so so you guys are publishing the tutorials, which are pretty code heavy. Um, there's all this. Uh, I think you could do more potentially around open code and emphasizing reproducibility personally. Um, but just, you know, helping point people in the right direction is it's one of those things where I feel like you, there's sort of no one answer, right? Some people need to read stuff. Some people need to do stuff. Some people need a course. Other people just need a nudge now and again. It You've got to do a bit of everything. It's It's the frustration for the, modern content producer, I think, is like, there are so many ways to be 
helpful and useful, like we talked about before. Um, I, I don't know if it's best to pick one and go at it or pick lots. Uh, I tend to pick lots. I think SEG is a sort of an organization that it is probably can't choose either. It probably has to offer a bit of everything to these different audience segments or whatever you want to call them. It's tough, right? I mean, you don't you don't want to be too thinly spread, but I mean, how does SCG decide what to focus on? Because at the end of the day, you've got a limited budget. Well, I think it, you're right. Absolutely, we're constrained. You know, when you when you talk about a downturn, that not only constrains the industry, but it constrains the societies that serve the industry as well. Right. Um, but I think that one thing that we serve you. So we serve our members. So if if there's something that we're deficient in or that needs growth, let us hear it. You know, join the TLE editorial board. Get on, get on with your colleagues on geophysics and and let your voice be heard. You know, mm -hmm. uh, contact our peers on staff and and let let us know that we're you know, let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we're what we could improve. And I think that uh, I, I speak for myself and others that we listen to that stuff and we take it seriously. I mean, one of the reasons that the podcast, I, I think, has a successful future at the SEG is because I, I think it's connecting in ways with with our members and with geophysicists that the other some of the other things that we have don't quite connect. Uh, you all do a lot of field work where you don't have access to Internet or consistent Internet. You do a lot of lab work. You know, some of the initial feedback we received from people with the podcast was they loved being able to download the podcast and then just put their headphones on and listen while they were doing other things. Hmm. So it's a way that they can connect to the society and learn about geophysics in a way that works within their already professional workflow. And, and you know, as a student, if you're doing a bunch of reading or just doing a bunch of work, you know, you can pop in the, pop in a podcast and listen. So I think it's a way that that you can learn about the society in a different way that meets the realities of your job and the realities of your day to day. So I think that's other ways that we're trying to figure out through SEG how we can connect to people. The wiki is kind of another one of those things where it allows people, if you if you remember a chapter in Osio Maz's seismic data analysis where he talked about a specific thing you want to learn, well, maybe you don't want to pull out the two volume from the bookshelf, but you could go to wiki.seg.org even on your phone and just go, maybe just type it in the search bar and then you'll get the chapter right there in the wiki. So it's kind of another way that we are connecting the knowledge and, and the tools that we already have in ways that the current geophysicist is using to access them. Yeah, I imagine a huge amount of your traffic is probably mobile. I bet it's more than half. I don't know that it's cracked uh, half, but uh, okay. And we've and we've given them a lot of love on this on this episode. And, and as we said, you interviewed Lindsay. We've interviewed Doug, Lindsay, and Soggy. But I think the the latest distinguished instructor short course is a great example of that. Well, I mean, that's all about to some extent coding using kind of new tools to get the science out there. This was I don't know if it was the first, but one of the first that doesn't actually have a book along first. with it, just a website and yeah. an ongoing website where anyone can add case studies and and add to it. They added a lab on the second day, which hasn't been done before. So, mm -hmm. I mean, SEG is trying to figure out ways to connect with the realities of the modern geophysicist. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, really interesting how they've uh, sort of implemented that. And I know they're big fans of sort of, you know, multiple 
uh, interactive examples that, that you can kind of tweak and um, the interaction is so important. These little simple models are so important for sort of honing your intuition, right, about geophysics and like, oh, if this changes, then that happens. Um, and, I, and I feel like the, so those are, those are, so that introduces quite a bit of overhead. If you're talking about, you know, how do we build more interactive content or like on the web or in video or courses or whatever, it's like, whoa, suddenly I have to, I have to like code stuff up and there's a whole library behind their stuff that you, you know, most people probably aren't even aware of, but I mean, it's years of productivity, right? Yeah. Um, and and, I, and I, so I feel like the internet, when it's faced with, you know, if you look at a project, an ambitious project like Wikipedia, when it's faced with, oh my God, this is so much work, this is gonna take forever, it just goes, well, hang on a minute, there's, well, maybe not six or seven billion people, but we've got hundreds of thousands of people that want to see this happen. How about we just let them do it? But in my experience, corporations especially, but but SEG as well to some extent, not just SEG, but technical societies, in fact, I'd put SEG at the uh, awesome end of the spectrum of this uh, what this effect that I'm describing. <laughs> but I've worked, you know, with uh, SPE and APG, and they're definitely in other parts of the spectrum, um, where they worry a lot about quality control and oh, you know, if we if we let random people on the internet essentially uh, do these things, they'll they'll be rubbish, <laughs> and, and and we'll be to blame, kind of thing. But I feel like that kind of misses the point of how how people engage with online content, especially when it was peer produced, and that's clear, like on the wiki, for example. I don't think anyone looks at an article on the wiki and says, wow, this is a bit thin or isn't very good, or that seems to be inaccurate. SEG is terrible. You know, that's not the sort of <laughs> leap you make. <laughs> you might go, I guess this page isn't very useful. Um, you might say, I wish the person who wrote it had taken a bit more care or something. I don't think you go to that sort of other extreme. If you're awesome, you go, wow, I can fix this. And, and you go edit it. <laughs> like that's the, that's the correct response. But um, anyway, I just wanted to sort of commend SEG on the relinquishment of control on the wiki is sort of remarkable for a technical society that does worry rightly about QC. And I, I would just encourage just everyone too, if they're thinking about this as well, that in, in my experience working on the wiki now for a little over three years, I would, I would say almost everyone, everyone that has contributed to the wiki wants to do a good job. They want to yeah. produce something that, is, that lives up to the SEG name. They're aware that they're producing something for the SEG wiki. But I think even more than that, they, they are all professionals and they, they want to produce something that other people will find useful, that other people will learn something from. We've had people that develop, we have a lot of our people develop stuff in Microsoft Word documents first and then send it to other people to get reviewed. Uh, Matt, you're on the wiki committee. We get uh, some of our new volunteers have wanted people to, to review on the wiki committee what they're working on. Uh, but even if they just go right in and just edit, they see something wrong and edit it right away, they want to do a good job. And nobody, they just, they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to have something not useful. They, they mm -hmm. care about what they're producing. And I think that's important to remember, you know, especially as a professional society, I think we're uniquely situated with this, that we are engaging with professionals and scientists and researchers, and they want to do a good job and they want to be helpful. 
and the wiki is a, a great way to do that. I've, you know, just the other day, Raul in Sheriff's Dictionary, one of our Raul Kova, who's a, a PhD student or uh, at University of Calgary, you know, he he realized that Shepherd's Cane was attributed to the wrong person in Robert Sheriff's Dictionary in the fourth edition and was able to fix it on the wiki. And, and that has happened more than once uh, mm. throughout that. So it's just uh, and also a unique way to be able to improve upon what has come before. Uh, but they want to do a good job and these volunteers care about doing a good job. And that's been totally. my case every time. Yeah, I, I feel like what I, what I, this is, a, I haven't thought this through, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think sometimes there's a perception that inviting contributions from a broader array of people than we normally do, right? And this goes for anything like, um, you know, let's say when you're setting up a panel discussion, say, that's one of the occasions where there's always uh, or very often criticism that, oh, here's, you know, five old white guys and it's the same people over and over again and so on. Um, I, I, you know, I think there's a tendency for lots of things to operate like that. Committees, um, any appeal for content and contributions, there's a tendency to go that way. And the, the point is that lowering the barriers to entry and making it easier for people to contribute and get involved is not the same thing as lowering the bar Right? It's not the same thing as sort of just sort of relinquishing control of quality and hope of anything good kind of thing, because all sorts of other effects that are highly nonlinear and unintuitive and not expected kick in, like the raising of aspirations from the contributors and the more eyeballs, the all bugs are shallow. Uh, with many eyeballs kind of effect where you find mistakes in even in stuff like Sheriff, you know, and like SPE is not going to tell me JPT content is awesome. There's no mistakes in there. I mean, of course there are, and of course there's chaff in there. There's all sorts of marketing rubbish and stuff that's totally unfounded and unreproducible, right? So I feel like as a technical discipline where there's a a tendency to sort of want to say, no, no, it has to be right and good and true. And awesome people have to have stamped it. We freak out a little bit, I think, when we talk about, you know, getting getting a broader set of contributions. Well, it's awesome. I mean, the wisdom of the crowd, you know, is always the most powerful thing, right? Um, how, yeah. So how do we the, the wiki, SEG wiki is awesome, as Matt says. I mean, it's a, it's a great way that this is happening right now. Are there any other, uh, how else does SEG facilitate um, sort of member to member communication on a professional level? And then, and also sort of on a instructor's level. I, I just wanna, I'll let Isaac answer that he hasn't talked in a while i just wanted to second something <laughs> from matt though that i have definitely seen in the wiki especially but other volunteer projects we we do here and that's the when you when you bring people in the way that they then connect to the society and feel like just that feeling of it's not plugged in, plugged in uh a feeling of 
minor eyes is going to do a little floor crawl here. Uh, <laughs> the way that the way that I feel like you'll connect fans for life is an important aspect when you get them engaged. I think the volunteers on the Spanish project, you know, they're all Spanish or native Spanish speaking. Mm -hmm. And not all of them are SEG members to start with. So we're already connecting to a, a better group of people connecting to the SEG, but they're finding it so meaningful to create something that would have benefited them coming up. And now they get to create something that, that they can pass on to people for generations to come and learn geophysics in their own in their own language before moving into the field. And that's really meaningful to them. And I think we're creating people that probably for the rest of their life will talk about SEG, at least in this way, in a very positive light. And I, I think that's really important. The first podcast we had was Women in Geoscience. And we made a call mostly to young young students, students and young professionals that you could ask Sally Zinke a question. Mm -hmm. And the response from them was wonderful. And I you know, we've had several of those people since that asked a question to Sally, and this was, I don't know, two years ago or something at this point, joined the wiki committee recently. You know, they're, they've now engaged with SEG, and I think because we asked them, because they got their question answered by Sally, because we, we wanted to hear from them, I think creating opportunities to volunteer and to make a difference in the society creates people that will stick around for the long haul. And I think that's an important thing as a society to remember. Uh, and the wiki is a nice thing because they can contribute and the podcast, they can contribute. They hear their voice. I think those things are essential for a society to grow. Absolutely. I, I think Andrew kind of answered your question. <laughs> Graham. Indeed. Uh, I think when we do our job well and, you know, we have our good days and our bad, there's definitely things that we can uh, do to improve the services we provide to our members. But when we do our job well, we, we make those connections. We are thinking intentionally about how we can connect uh, you know, the, the experienced geophysicist with the, the young emerging geophysicist so that they both can learn and grow and take the science to the next level. Um, whether that's with through volunteer opportunities like Andrew mentioned, or whether that's through our annual meeting or workshops. I mean, I think that again, when we, when we are, when we put that first in our problem solving is when we get the best results. We don't always do that, but when we do, we get the best results. And, mm -hmm. I think that's the best answer I can give you on that. I, you know, I think there are some different, I think there are some things out there other than the wiki that we're doing and kind of experimenting with that we think can make those connections. Um, one thing that's new is, is a service called Kudos, which allows authors to share uh, their information in a plain English description. So oftentimes the research that you read, I'm not a geophysicist. We should have said this an hour ago, but we're, we're not, Andrew and I are not geophysicists. If that wasn't clear what? to you already. The podcast is over. <laughs> so, you know, oftentimes when I'm reading the research, it's over my head. And uh, I have to, I have to take a step back and say, what is this about? Why is it important? Why should I read it? Why should I try to read it, sift through it? And, you know, a lot, a lot of the public does that as well. And your peers mm -hmm. do it as well. So it's a service to to make that, to, to basically create a box that allows authors to, to tell us why the work is important, why, sh why we should read it. And then it allows them to easily share that on social media. You can do that now, but what I like about this service is that it allows uh, you to see the results of, of what you've done on social media. So uh, there's a thing called an alt metric score. I'm not sure that everybody's familiar with that, but it's basically an alternative way uh, to, to get a number associated with how popular 
or how far your the reach of your work has has spread. And so uh, SCG rolled this out at the start of the year. Um, I've written an article about it for State of the Net, which is something I write ongoing in, in the Leading Edge magazine. Uh, my colleagues wrote something about it for interpretation. It just was published last week. So uh, we're always trying to find these new uh, kind of emerging technologies uh, that we can grab onto that that helps our members. And uh, you know, Matt, you wrote me probably two months ago and asked me about publons. Hmm. And I said, well, I've heard of publons, but are we doing publons? I went back to our team and they said, yeah, we, we rolled out publons. It goes back to what Andrew was saying. We just didn't do a very good job of communicating that we were using publons. So right. <laughs> we went back to the drawing board and said, hey, we need to use our, our outlets that we have to, to kind of spread this word better than we've done. Do you uh, want to just mention what publons is? Because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a system to allow uh, people to claim their peer review and to, to kind of sign off on the peer review that other people have done. I don't know if that's too simple a, a definition, Matt, but uh, that's my understanding of what, what Publons is. Yeah, yeah, sort of a way to, for you know, from a reviewer's point of view, to put your review on the, on the web out there. And yeah, um, but for a bit more sort of transparency. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it'd be really interesting actually to see a sort of, uh, uh, open publishing uh, opens not really the word I mean um, uh, like the evolution of scientific publishing you know from SCG's perspective it would be fun to have a workshop or something like that at the annual meeting uh, or online or something because you know you guys are in kind of a cool position because um, you know you guys are sort of all about the online and digital side of things but what's cool about you two is uh, or one of the things that's cool about you two is that you do uh, try to bring some of that into kind of meet space at the annual meeting as well with like the uh, the, the wikithon and so on which i think you're carrying on right this year yeah, yeah which is which is cool because you know it didn't exactly get off to an auspicious start <laughs> and weaker souls might have sort of said oh screw this you know but um i love that you, i love that you're uh, committed to it and which i think is absolutely what it takes i mean when i look at the the hackathon you know this is the seventh one we've done and it's the first one where i haven't been begging you know and uh, that that's just how it goes i think it just takes things take time uh, good things take time um, so yeah uh, but uh, what was I going to ask about oh so I think that would be a fun conversation to have just about you know get all the reviewers to come along and the editors and associate editors and chat about what are these tools and invite people to uh, you know what, what does it mean to publish a reproducible paper and put your code out there what does it mean to put your stuff on publons um, what is an orchid and why should I have an orchid uh, attached to my name and who cares and that kind of thing um, but I was also going to ask about Dora you guys know anything about Dora I the, don't know anything about Dora the Explorer Dora. <laughs> no it's the uh, the San Francisco San Francisco declaration on research assessment ah. everybody's all excited about at the moment so some big institutions uh, most notably on my radar recently, just because of the kind of people I hang out with on Twitter, were Imperial College London, uh, you know, one of the sort of world's top research institutions, and Nature, uh, of all publications, signing up to this document that essentially tries to, um, well, promote um, altmetrics 
and simultaneously and sort of consequently demote impact factor in particular as a as a measure of you know quote unquote success and um anyway i just wondered if scg had what if there were directions there or what was on the horizon for you guys when it comes to that world and you uh, outmetrics was the trigger so you guys only have your <laughs> <laughs> uh how about how about i uh follow up with you on that uh after <laughs> I, I i think we may be working on something related to dora but i i just don't i just don't know off the top of my head oh, okay maybe not dora specifically but um you know do, do you think because it's it's not just like you say right i guess what i'm getting at is it's a two-sided thing like the publishers need to be on board and the researchers and authors and reviewers and associate editors that the members essentially need educating i mean a lot of people don't don't know what impact factor is right um, or why journals care about it or even how journals are published do you know what i mean right i feel like there's a lot of i mean i read stuff from the kind of really aggressive open access advocates um as well that's completely naive about how publishing happens and you know there's a lot of ire directed at elsevier in particular but also wiley and others um some of which is justified because they do make a large amount of profit um but but the model is broadly similar to the one that technical societies use you know um in that it's commercial and i feel like it's unfair to direct the same kind of criticism at those organizations because they don't make billions and billions of dollars um and to think that all that stuff can happen all the stuff that they do like around marketing and getting stuff into libraries and copy editing and proofreading and typesetting to think that that stuff happens for free is crazy so anyway that's just a very very long-winded way of saying i think you guys could be instrumental in making that conversation between publishers and content creators happen yeah i i will concede we we there are things that we can do to do that better uh you know i i think we we have we have talked about kudos we've talked about orchid ids we've talked about publons but that doesn't mean that everybody's heard us or they haven't heard us where we were talking about it and you know what is that research that says that you have to repeat something you have to hear something what 10 times or something? i don't know what the number is but <laughs> where it sinks in so we've, we've right. just got to keep saying it and saying it in different ways uh, but uh, i mean it's also smart in a way to do it slowly because the process is slow and iterative and you don't necessarily want 5,000 people asking for their orchid IDs to be put on their articles tomorrow um, or We could handle it if they did it <laughs> Yeah, okay fair enough. That was a bad example, but um, you know you You, you don't necessarily we don't necessarily need a revolution, sure. right? We just need but we'd like for the evolution to speed up a little bit maybe and just a brief step back for those who may not know what an ORCID ID is, it's essentially a, a unique identifier for you as an author that will follow you along to all of your articles if you published under Andrew Gary or Andrew N. Gary or Andrew Nathaniel Gary. All of those things will be tracked in one spot. And if someone else has your same name, then you can make sure to delineate between who those, differentiate between who those two individuals are. 
and make sure you get all your papers in one spot. More of a problem for Matt than Graham, but yeah. <laughs> Serial numbers. Yeah, right, exactly. <clears throat> Guys, uh, I know that Matt could go on for two hours about the peer reviewing process, but it's getting towards the part of the show where we ask our guests, what are you reading currently? Andrew's a big reader, so I'll let him, I'll let him go with that. I could talk about 30 books. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I'm, you read 30 at a time, eh? Yeah, he does. <laughs> I, I read a, a few. Um, but I'll, I'll plug, I read uh, Why Time Flies by Alan Burdick recently, which was, uh, it got really philosophical into time. He went around essentially asking a bunch of scientists, what is time? And uh, it, it gets very deep. And, and that part was interesting. But the first third of that book I found really fascinating because I did not know anything about it. And it was about how we determine that it's 1108 in Tulsa, Oklahoma right now. It is through all of these different world clocks. There is actually an organization that is run by a, a senior scientist who she gets all of this information from all of these different places all around the world that measure their time and their place. And then she just averages it out. <laughs> all these different times, they're all wrong. They're all different. The US Naval Observatory gets the highest weight of accuracy because of how it works. Go America, I guess. But uh, you know, she takes them from all around the world, averages it out, and the time that it is now was what the time it was a month ago. So we're not even accurate right now with the time. So just kind of learning about that was really fascinating. It's, it's a good read, a quick read. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon to Plug an Oklahoma book by David Grant. Uh, it's about how the Osage Indians, when they struck oil, back in the 20s, sort of the story about how they started slowly going away and being murdered by people and what was happening. Uh, it's, it's a mystery, so I don't want to give too much away, but back in the 20s when they were getting rich, they started disappearing and started getting murdered and started getting poisoned and just kind of tells the story about who was killing them and why they were killing them and uh, some pretty interesting things that I did not know about. And uh, one, one more book that I'll plug, Dreamland Burning by Jennifer Latham, who is a Tulsa writer. This is a book that actually has one of the major characters is half Osage. So she combines sort of some of that. Her publisher would not let her publish a book on the Osage Indian story. So she snuck it in a different way. But it's it's essentially about the, the Greenwood Massacre, better known as the Tulsa Race Riots that happened in 1921 in Tulsa and uses a, a historical fictionalized account that tracks someone discovering a body in 2017 in modern times and going back between the story in 1921 about that murder. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting way to track history uh, in that time as well as kind of learn a little bit about the what was happening with the oil money in, in the 20s as well in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Interesting. interesting. Andrew's plugging three books that need plugging. I'm plugging a book that doesn't need any plugging at all. I'm reading I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Um, I love memoir, I love writing and reading memoir. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a classic that every person should read. So uh, finally getting around to reading it. Sure. sure. Matt, how about you? I am reading a, <laughs> a book that I bought that probably, um, I should have read before, but, um, I bought it on a whim in an airport and then left it on my shelf for a couple of years. Um, it's called what to think about machines that think. Um, it's this, it's one of these books that, uh, John Brockman does every year for, he's from edge.org. This is kind of a 
I was going to say a bad word there, but it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it, I don't know what to think about. I need a book called what to think about edge.org. Cause <laughs> I, I think it's just a bunch of intellectuals kind of slapping each other on the back and congratulating each other about how fantastically clever they all are. Um, mostly white men. <laughs> so it's kind of a crappy organization. And, and actually I've read one of these compilations before because every year he writes to all the edge.org members with some like profound question that they all cogitate on and then grace everybody with their opinions. <laughs> For someone who reacts so strongly against experts, I really probably shouldn't have picked this book up. But um, I'm just trying to read a lot about AI at the moment. So I'm sort of flip-flopping between fiction and non-fiction. This is my current thing. So anyway, there's essays in there by like Martin Rees and Stephen Pinker and uh, Freeman Dyson and all, most a lot of physicists, I guess, um, about AI. And it's a bit like a 52 things. There's, I think there's actually something like 90 chapters all by different people. Some of them are like a sentence or a paragraph. Some of them are very short indeed. Um, others are a bit, bit, go into a bit more detail. Yeah. I sort of struggle to recommend it, to be honest. It's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, kind of interesting conjecture, I guess, about AIs. But I feel like it's the same conjecture that you could have in in the pub on your own. You don't need, yeah. <laughs> you don't need an MIT professor to tell you that you know we're all doomed or whatever. But um, yeah. It's funny, to, it's funny that some of these people, you know, because on the face of it, they're quite similar, but some of them are just like, I, I would upload myself to a computer tomorrow and, and others are like, there'll never be an AI that's, that's a, you know, more intelligent than a human. So I find that kind of interesting in the, the sort of heterogeneity of their views. It's, um, that's been a bit of a surprise. Anyway, what about you, Graham? I'm reading a book by Matthew Desmond. It's the newest uh, general nonfiction Pulitzer winner called Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City. Uh, I just started. It's, uh, I mean, obviously it's beautifully written. Um, I think it could be so far a bit more concise, but um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's told from multiple viewpoints, uh, like a bunch of um, fictional stories almost, but uh, Heavy, heavy man. It sounds super depressing. Yep. <laughs> okay. Okay. And don't don't read the uh, Osage Indian thing next. <laughs> I mean, a person could lose the anyway, and and then definitely don't read anything about AIs taking over the world. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You got it, Matt. Hey, wait. Oh, hold on. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it to you this episode. I was oh, just going to awesome. say, I was just going to say. I've had a knot in my stomach for the whole episode over this. If you were Seismic Sound Off, how would you sign off your episode? Seismically. Carry on. Well, I don't know, with some sort of rumble, rumble sound effect. <laughs> Go, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I see. Do it. Well, what does an earthquake sound like? Have you been in one? Oh, <laughs> You have to speed it. If you speed it up like 200 times, it sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah.
Well, to, to make a plug for our podcast, we actually were able to obtain a recording of the December 26, 2004 earthquake in the Indian Ocean that, that started the tsunami for our introduction to Ge Geosciences Without Borders. So in a few hours, you can if people to go to scg.org slash podcast, <laughs> they, they will be able to hear the actual recording of the earthquake. That's very awesome. cool. If you go to undersampledrad.io, you will only be able to hear Matt and I blathering on idiotically for hours and hours. <laughs> Matt, sign us off. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> no, th seriously, actually, um, Andrew and Isaac, thank you very much for today. It was really good talking to you. Two uh, fantastic people. Keep on being awesome. Thanks for thank inviting you. us. Thank you. We enjoyed it. Thank you. Same to you, Graham. Onwards and upwards. <laughs> <laughs>